Can everybody hear okay? So, um, tonight the topic is um, compassion fatigue and burnout and mindfulness as an antidote. And the way the evening's going to go is I'm going to give a little bit of framework up front and then you'll have a little bit of time to break into dyads or triads or however it sorts itself out. Um, And then I'll share some more thoughts and then um, there'll be some time for question and answer. So uh, I want you all to take a moment and think about your various roles as caregivers. Um, And we'll start with the more common ones, so therapists, nurses, physicians, teachers, parents, grandparents, aunties and uncles, sisters and brothers, uh, caring for pets or gardens or the planet or a particular cause. Um, So just take a moment and think of your various hats that you wear as a caregiver. And I forgot to mention um, children of aging parents. And just notice what arises as as you ponder your various roles. And then I want you to take a moment and ponder what um, what causes burnout or compassion fatigue for you personally and um, for people in general. So just pondering uh, both the internal habits and the external um, structures that can lead to compassion fatigue and burnout. And when you start to look at the research on compassion fatigue and burnout, uh, people talk about all sorts of things that contribute to these phenomena. Um, Where you exist in an organizational hierarchy, um, how that hierarchy is run, what is your role, what are the external expectations, how communications handled in a various in a particular setting. And a lot of those are um, external and we don't have a lot of say or control or choice about them. When I look at the various lists on compassion fatigue and burnout, there are some things that are within our control, uh, or at least slightly more within our control. And those have to do with our own social support. So you might ponder for a moment your current social support. And um, our individual mental health, and you are all already to be congratulated because if you're here, you're tending to your individual mental health. And um, our own expectations and um, reactions. And 
part of mindfulness is being aware of our own uh, sometimes fairly grand expectations and uh, sometimes not so helpful reactions when we're caring for someone. So just pondering that for a moment. Um, And most of the data, when you look at data on mindfulness and compassion fatigue and burnout comes from the healthcare professions, at least so far. Uh, So that's nurses, physicians, therapists, and actually some recent research as well uh, in the military, military care providers. So the people who are caring for the people who are um, in combat and the care providers may be in combat or they may be caring for them when they return home. Um, And that data actually tells us that the practice of mindfulness, and often these are done in um, the standard eight-week MBSR format when you're when you're looking at a research study. So many of you, a couple of you, raised your hands for first time here, and many of you I know have been here a long time and sitting and practicing a long time. So I want you to know that. Uh, you're reaping benefits because uh, what we know about people who practice mindfulness even for eight weeks, which is really not that long, is that it decreases burnout and distress. It decreases emotional exhaustion, depersonalization and drowsiness. And my new favorite research finding um, I just got to hear Sarah Lazar uh, speak at the Mindfulness in Education conference in Boston is it decreases activity in the amygdala. And the amygdala is that part of our brain that does fight or flight. And again, it was a short study, eight weeks, and to be able to see that on fMRI is just, I don't know, it's one of the coolest things on the planet, as far as I'm concerned, to say that this practice, and, and a, you know, again, a short amount of this practice um, changes the way our brain responds to stress. Uh, the other data is that mindfulness increases our adaptation to stress and our sense of relatedness, so when we're caring for someone. It increases our satisfaction with life and our sense of personal accomplishment and another fMRI one not as recent, the activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is the area of our, our brains that's associated with positive emotion. And um, there's some studies showing that it increases compassion and empathy. And the other than Sarah's study, the nicest recent study um, was published in JAMA in September um, by a friend and colleague of mine, Mick Krasner, who taught mindfulness for eight weeks to physicians and showing that they had increases in compassion and empathy. They felt more connected and effective with their patients. They felt like they were more able to tolerate difficult situations with their patients. Um, And so it's, it's a very powerful practice. And if that's not motivation enough, now I'm going to ask you to um, perhaps 
get into groups of two or three. And um, if you're feeling brave enough, perhaps not with your best friend or significant other, and for a few minutes, talk about um, those places that we don't sometimes talk about so much, which is um, what we know about our own habits that create compassion fatigue and burnout. What is it that we do, and you can pick your top three or your top five, um, that, that, are more, that make you more likely to burn out or get fatigued and be slightly less compassionate than you would otherwise prefer to be. So if you can just group up, and we'll, I'll let you talk for probably 10 minutes so that each person has enough time. And then we'll come back together and we'll discuss what you've discovered. So this is your time to share what you discovered and then if you haven't covered my top 10, I'll cover mine when we're done. So who, who wants to, to share something? And I'll repeat it so that you can hear and the people on the recording can hear. Go ahead. Okay, setting boundaries. Sound familiar? Any people? And we can talk about um, we can talk about that. How about for other people in the back? Yeah, and it's interesting because the term is used, and um, I don't know that even when I read the literature, it's very well defined. Um, but I think we all I'll define it how I would define it personally. Those places where um, part of us really is committed to being there and being of service and some other part of us is closed down or gone away, um, checked out, uh, or in some ways maybe overdoing, and we can talk about that too, um, but, but doing in a way that's disconnected. So we may be doing the motions but we're not, um, we're not there. So I think we can do it both ways. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay, you, someone over here had well, their hand up. I was going up. to say in our group we talked about the necessity to have time for ourselves to, whether it be meditation or other things. So self-care. Go ahead. Okay, so the, the, I'm going to paraphrase. You can help me if I get it wrong. But 
um, the, that when you're reacting particularly to something unpleasant and in the group it was discussed that meditation and being able to stay with your stay with your emotions was grounding close enough there were a couple more um, we talked about being drawn into the situation emotionally and how that can be a problem um, you know you can be fearful or being drawn into the situation emotionally so uh, it seems like being mindfully compassionate uh, could help deal with the situation better so that you don't withdraw or you don't put yourself Right, so finding that middle place between being over-invested and distant and, and that that takes practice and attention. Okay, someone was over here, I think. Um, recognizing that um, perhaps I have expectations of wanting uh, to be acknowledged yeah, so um, what Byron Katie would call seeking love, approval, and appreciation. One of my, one of my favorites. Um, what else? Yeah, Atta- attachment to outcome. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so the the distinction of knowing when we're fixing. And as a physician, I'm all for fixing what can be fixed. And there's a whole lot that can't be fixed. So um, being able to know the difference and be present with that. Go ahead. Knowing that your feelings, anger, and not the person Okay, so being responsible for your for your feelings. Anything else? Go ahead. Uh, approaching situations with a frame of mind that uh, some response is being demanded of you rather than really given by you. Right, so it's, it's not only our own expectations but our sense of other people's expectations and that goes back a little bit to the boundary issue which we discussed in our group as well. What else? You doing something out of a sense of obligation rather than sort of passion. Yeah. So and so, and then it was supposed to be the white, the poet mm-hmm. talking about that and uh, these kinds of involved in Right, and it, I mean, it helps, um, it helps to be clear about what we're passionate about and what our job with a capital J is, and um, at the same time to hold it loosely because what we think we're passionate about or what our what we think our job is may not actually be in that moment our job and 
you know, if in the moment what you're doing is something that you're not particularly passionate about, it's not that you're going to jump up and down and say, yippee, yahoo. Um, and can you bring some, some connection to it, even if it's not, you know, the passion with a capital P? What else? It reminds me of uh, a lot of meditators work with um, hospice care. Mm-hmm. Well, and the hospice is is very here and now, and um, I think people who do that work it it keeps you in the here and now because you realize the here and now is brief. What else? Overcommitting, and the the um, the interesting practice there is to see what's driving the the overcommitment, or what's driving the 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 difficulty with the boundaries. Do people have other ones? Do we cover most of them? So I'm just going to, you know, my list is not that different than yours, but um, I'll share it with you just, and a lot of it will be reiterating or expanding on what you've already said. So um, one thing is people, people talked about neglecting themselves or not making time for themselves, and I think the most simple and obvious way that we do that is by neglecting our bodies getting so caught up in our to-do list of whatever it happens to be that we're not eating well, we're not sleeping well, we're not practicing, we're not moving our bodies. Um, And there's something about the more habitual that becomes, the more we're in our heads. And it's it has a self-perpetuating quality to it when we when we neglect when we neglect or deny the information that our body's giving us and you know we all know that place even if it's just the quiet sighing ugh when someone asks for that one last you know what really is kind of the um, the last straw and 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 we and we disregard it all the time I mean, there's something in there that says that was the last straw. And we ignore it. And then we wonder why we're toast. Then we're cross. (laughs) Cross would be um, an understatement sometimes, right? Um, Someone over here had talked about the distinction, what I called the distinction between doing and being. So um, we get so lost in the in the doing 
awe. <laughs> Even if the doing seems like a really good idea, you know, doing someone's laundry or picking up their groceries or that we're not that we're not really there for them or for us anymore. And we we forget the value of being. I mean, and I I mean all of us in this room, but I mean it also as a culture. You know, even the thing of, what did you do today? You know, the question that we ask people all the time. Um, you know, and we don't we don't say, uh, I I sat and befriended myself, or I sat and befriended my friend. Um, ego versus service, and um, I think many of you have probably read Rachel Naomi Remen's um, thing on the distinction between helping and service. But when we do it from ego, when we're looking for love, approval, and appreciation, when um, we think we're the ones who's doing it at all. Um, There's a there's an efforting that that's underneath that. Like there's a certain franticness underneath um, that doesn't that doesn't that isn't of service. And service feels to me, service has a distinct feel, and it's open, and the um, the energy comes as it's as it's needed, but there's not that, that scrambly feeling to it when, I, when I'm rooted in being and in service. Um, good, in, good intentions gone astray. We can start in service. We can start in service all the time, and we can find our passion and our, you know, our job with a capital J, and then... Um, we get into the ego again, and we get into fixing, and sometimes we get into being right. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, that thing that started in being and in service um, gets corrupted somehow. And uh, one of the important things is to find that inflection point, and one of the ways we find that inflection point is by paying attention to our body. Because the doing and the fixing has that scrambly, striving feeling to it. Um, arrogance, one of my personal favorites. Um, thinking we should that we know how it should go. And... Um, you know how how someone should eat, live their life, deal with their cat, deal with their children, <laughs> deal with their spouse. Um, like who says we know? And often it's us, and we say it often. But but you know, noticing where where we um, we argue with what's so you know I, my father my father-in-law is coming to mind because his um, eating habits are less than healthy and um, 
now I'll have to tell him he can listen to the audio tape. <laughs> um, and but the more we um, suggest, tease, uh, admonish, like kind of the more stubborn he gets. And you know, and and we so often think that we know how it should go. And if we can just catch ourselves and um, have a sense of humor about that, you were going to say something. Yeah, and there is. Um, so she said, sometimes we do we do know, and sometimes there are roles where whether we know or not, it's kind of our job to take a good solid shot at it. I, I mean, I'm parenting now a 12-year-old boy and a 10-year-old girl, and I mean, whether I know or not in the moment, I have to take my best guess sometimes. Um, and. And we have, we, there are places where we definitely hold that responsibility, and I'm not in any way suggesting that we shirk it. But at the same time, I'm suggesting that we uh, be really humble um, about our assumptions. And sometimes, um, even those places where someone needs to crash and burn, um, like we'd love, we'd love to spare them that if we could, and um, we try, and sometimes we can't, and and who's to say that they're not, that really what they need at that moment isn't to crash and burn, and it's that's not easy or pleasant or fun, and sometimes it's what's happening even if in our arrogance we think it should go otherwise. Um, The next one I wrote was addiction. Um, And it's all those things that we're addicted to. Love, approval, and appreciation. Outcomes. Sometimes we're, we're caregiving because we want to be in that drama, because um, it's easier to be in that drama than over here in our own lives. Um, but, you know, and we know uh, when we're telling, like there's a certain place for me where I know when I'm telling a story that it's, it's far enough away that it's become a story, like it's not, it's not what's happening right now, but it's a good story, so I keep telling it for a while. Um, and so I wanted to say uh, something about the boundaries, because that came up a lot, and um, I have a longtime mentor, uh, actually a 20 years mentor, and one of the gifts she has given me is what she calls beautiful no. And the thing about beautiful no is um, when, we, when someone makes a request of us, even if it's us making a request of us, um, we can stop, and Sharon's going to talk about the pause next week, so we can pause and... Um, Listen 
simply for the truth of our answer. And what I've learned about beautiful no, even though um, sometimes, honestly, it's disappointing to me, and sometimes it's disappointing to other people, or at least I think it is, um, is that when I say beautiful no, what it leaves room for is beautiful yes. But if I say yes to those things that are truly no, then when the the joyful, passionate yes comes, uh, I'm booked. And I I can't say yes to that one, Um, especially I was talking um, before we started tonight. When I'm in a teaching cycle, uh, my commitment to my family is that I'm only out of the house one night a week, and that's a more or less thing. It doesn't always work out quite like that. Um, So, you know, if I've booked that yes, there's a lot of no's that come after that. And so it's it's that moment by moment choice. And I'm trying to think... Um, I think there's a book I read recently where, where someone's mother's in the hospital and they want they want whatever, it, the yellow pants with the white flowers and they absolutely have to have them right now. And it's the last straw for the woman. And, and she says no and the mother kind of gives her grief. You know, I'm on my deathbed. How can you deny me? Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it's, all, it's all fine. And she doesn't really need the yellow pants with the white flowers right then. And, um, you know, we make up how much someone needs it, or they make it up and we believe it. But this practice of beautiful, no, and practice with the, with the little things first. Um, honey, do you want Chinese? No, you know, I want to stay home um, or I really want Italian. I mean, you know, so that so that you build that muscle for. Um, for those times when you need it and then be prepared to be. Um, mystified and pleasantly surprised by the beautiful yes. Um, I mean, the thing that you so think you don't want to do. Will will you keep the uh, fourth grade guinea pig over uh, winter break? <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, some of those things, you know, when, you know, it's your turn to, to clean up the vomit at three in the morning, you know, there, there, there can be beautiful, yes, to that and it doesn't it doesn't come if we're completely depleted uh, so you know play play with that take I mean if you're gonna take one thing home to play with and practice with play with beautiful no and the last thing I want to say which comes back kind of to the first thing that was said and the first thing that I said which is um, when I was in medical school, I had a yoga teacher who um, very wisely said, fill your cup first so you can overflow to others. 
And a lot of us, our cups are the last ones that we fill. So we have only a few minutes, but we can have a few minutes of questions or responses or objections or brilliant epiphanies or whatever people want to share. Go ahead. Uh, one of the things that I found is really freeing um, is to say no without making the excuse. Mm-hmm. And so I really Yeah. So she's saying no without an excuse, and that's part of beautiful no, like no defense, no justification. I would if I could, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, not not this time, thank you and no. Somewhere someone had, and I think you could probably Google it, like 25 ways to say no. I mean, and none of them, none of them are, um, have justifications. Uh, but just thank you and no. Go ahead. Right. So being specific about uh, what we say yes to and what we say no to. I won't do it indefinitely, but I'll do it this week or I'll do it every fourth week or whatever it is. Go ahead. It'll come, it'll come back. couple more, just so she has a chance to remember. You've got it now? Yeah, and I don't, I mean, my sense is that there's, um, with, uh, I notice I have hesitate because it, it's a place where I get stuck, good, bad, better, worse, right, wrong. Um, my sense is that if we're paying attention, they happen naturally. There's an ebb and a flow. And it's, today is a giving day, or not even today, but this five minutes is giving time, and then it's a receiving time. Um, and if we're attentive enough, there is there is a balance that that happens, and we can we can when it's required of us, um, we can you know that giving place can go on for quite a period of time, and we can build some receiving into that if we're wise enough and if there's space. Um, but you know, in in real crises. There's, there's something there that allows for that, and then we need to replenish afterwards. And I don't know, you know, it's like, in this moment, it's better to give. And in this moment, it's better to receive and, and, and being curious about it. And also, a part of how we learn is um, 
by doing that overcommitting thing. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Why did I raise my hand and say I bring brownies on Thursday? Um, and 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 really being curious about what was underneath that, and and sometimes being willing to go back and say, you know what, I said I'd bring brownies, and I realize it's not gonna work for me. So can you know somebody else bail me out, and I'll do it next time. What else? So there's one one last thought that you reminded me of, which is um, when we have compassion fatigue for ourselves, which is this place where we don't love and care for ourselves, and just um, just noticing how it is that we do that when we do that. Other people are more important. The to-do list is more important. Um, you know, having clean house and matching socks are more important. Um, but really having some some curiosity about what we put ahead of, of filling our cup so that we can overflow to others. So I'll be in the back for questions if anybody wants. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.